If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 486. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back in the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. You can find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N. McClanahan.com. Why are there? Give me an email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. You can support the show by going to McClanahanAcademy.com. Always free to enroll. You get to free class 10 Myths of American History when you do enroll. You get great deals on new and forthcoming courses when you sign up there. Of course, you can also click on that support tab at BrianMcClanahan.com. You can go on the shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com. Lots of cool ways to support the show. As always, share the show around on social media. Rate it where you get your podcasts. Let people know you're listening to it. And also send me those show ideas. Now, this particular show is sort of a listener-generated episode. And that's because I went on my Twitter account and put a poll up. Which of these two do you want to listen to? So if you don't follow me on Twitter, you didn't see that. Or you need to get over there on Twitter and follow me there. So... It is your choice of the two ideas that I had. One was a discussion about the influence of imperialism on surfing as an Olympic sport, which I thought was absolutely hilarious. The other was COVID federalism, was how I titled it. Now, what do I mean by that? And that's the one that won. So we've talked this whole week about conservatism and what that means. What is real American conservatism? Uh, what does that entail? We talked about Wilmore Kendall and, of course, Clyde Wilson and uh, Paul Gottfried and the difference between the paleoconservatives, or in some cases libertarians, and people like Michael Anton, who are the Claremont School, Claremont Hillsdale School, and how, again, the core of all of that was understanding that this proposition nation myth is not conservative and we're playing the left's game. So we need to get away from that. But Part of that was a discussion of what real American conservatism is, and that, of course, is federalism. Federalism, self-determination, the right of self-government, liberty, these are things that are at the heart of American conservatism. Even Kendall pointed that out when he said, look, Southerners, we're resisting some things and actually articulating a very conservative position, but they were overrun by people who believed in the Lincolnian nationalist myth. So that was a certain brand of American political thought that was not conservative, by the way. In 1860 and 61, the conservatives were against the war. Across the board, the conservatives were against the war. That is something you can say unequivocally. You're not going to find many, if any, conservatives in 1860 or 61 that were in favor of the war. They either sided with the Confederacy if they were in the South or they opposed it if they were in the North. And the best example of that is by far of a Northerner, quote-unquote, would be James Byard of Delaware, who was against the war. Now, there were others. There were others. Or they were very tepid in their support for it. I mean, look, uh, 
the union wasn't a conservative principle if you didn't have the right of self-government and self-determination. You just couldn't have that. So conservatives have always been in favor of self-determination, real federalism, self-government. These are the things they favor. And Lincoln running out there with the Gettysburg Address in 1863 wasn't really interested in self-determination. He might have said it, but if he really believed in it, then he would believe in the idea that these individuals in the South, the voting electorate, could leave this union. And so that is a conservative principle, an American conservative principle as well. So at the core of all that is this belief in federalism. And so I said, well, look, there's an article that was in a, at a website called The Conversation, which is almost entirely written or is entirely written by academics. And I saw this at first on the, I think it was San Fran, one of these San Francisco newspapers. And then it, cl- it linked back over to this from the original. So I went here, and again, this website is composed primarily of university professors, intellectuals, people like that, and they write policy positions and other things. And mostly from a leftist perspective. But I thought this piece was interesting because it gave me a nice summary of everything I've talked about this week. So... Just to say, if you want to get to me five days a week, go over to the abbevilleinstitute.org, get the podcast there. That's my fifth podcast for the week. But this will wrap it up, and I've enjoyed doing this uh, this show this week. But the title of this piece is, The Trump Administration Feuded with State and Local Leaders Over Pandemic Response. Now the Biden Administration is trying to turn back a page in history. So from the title, you get the idea that the Trump Administration somehow was out there causing problems for state and local officials and trying to combat COVID-19. When in reality, the Trump administration just said, this is a state and local issue. They've got to handle it. In fact, one of the things the left has criticized the Trump administration or criticized the Trump administration at the time was that there wasn't a top-down, one-size-fits-all national quote-unquote response to coronavirus, as if there was a legal standing for that from the general government. One of the funniest parts of this essay, of course, is also where New York is somehow held up as this shining example of what to do in the coronavirus when we know the governor was killing senior citizens in nursing homes. And so that wasn't a good response. In fact, as others have pointed out, you really can't tell where the lockdown states were and where the non-lockdown states were in terms of uh, cases and other things. It's very hard to tell. So the jury's out on all of these mitigation efforts on how they worked. Uh, Of course, the Trump administration did promise a vaccine, which got here pretty quickly. Rapid speed compared to other vaccines. I mean, uh, and so that arrived shortly before Trump left office. Now, Biden, of course, has taken a lot of credit for that, for the very rapid vaccine. So this is an interesting case study in federalism, how this works, how the state's work and the general government works. And what we're seeing in the United States is various responses to COVID mitigation strategies, whether it's open up or not open up, whether how much to restrict, how much not to restrict. And of course, that all goes back to federalism, which is what the entire piece is about. So I'm going to talk about this. And then again, this is the conservative. This is thinking locally and acting locally and where you have the most impact. If you're not happy with your state's mitigation strategies, well, then you need to be working within the states and not telling Congress to go do something about it. This is really an issue of your state. And I remember this this past week, state where I am, the governor was asked, um, what's the real problem in your state? She said, well, I mean, we have a lot of unvaccinated people 
And when a reporter pressed her on it, she said, well, what, are you, what would you suggest to do? Almost like the little punk was trying to push her in a position. Of course, the, the lefties in the state said, well, she should have had a, uh, another a response to it that was more heavy-handed than, than what she had. But regardless, uh, this all comes down to the state and the political culture of the state. We know that states that are predominantly blue are more in line with this type of ordered liberty. And what I mean by that is the liberty of the community over individual liberty. What we're seeing in COVID-19 is the political culture of America manifested on a map. The blue states believe in that ordered liberty. I don't care if I have to lose every bit of liber individual liberty I have. If I am not scared of getting coronavirus, I'm good with that. What you've seen in the red states is the exact opposite. You have either individual liberty, like the natural freedom of uh, the frontier people, which you're seeing primarily in the West, uh, in, in places of the West, in the Dakotas, for example, or you're seeing this kind of hegemonic liberty, which did have to do a lot with individual liberty in the South, where individual liberty was very important. Um, you're not seeing as much reciprocal liberty, where they talk about, well, you know, I have the right to do this, and you have the right not to. That's That position on, say, the vaccine, for example, uh, has been pretty much non-existent in a conversation about this. You know, you, well, it's cool if you don't get it, it's but I want to get it. And we were badgering people on both sides. And that's, that is the reciprocal liberty of the Quakers, uh, where you know people, well, you have the freedom to get it. If you don't want to, that's fine, but I want to, so I'm going to get it, but I'm not going to badger you if you're not getting it, or vice versa. So all of that to say um, is that we've got this real issue that really is COVID-19, the response, really is localized, and it needs to be viewed that way. It's localized. So here's the piece by Benjamin Brunez. Uh, as the U.S. recovers from the pandemic, the Biden administration is working to rebuild relationships across levels of government from the top to the bottom that were strained during the presidency of Donald Trump. Now, just from the beginning, the fact that we have a relationship between the president and the states, somehow this is how this is supposed to work. We don't top to bottom government. We bottom to top. The entire premise of this is faulty. We don't bottom-to-top government in America. We top-to-bottom. I'm sorry, we don't top-to-bottom government. We bottom-to-top. Government works from the bottom up in America, not the top down. We don't have a unitary state, but essentially this is written in that way, that that would be the norm, but America does things a lot differently. Now, there are some things I want to get into this. In November 2020, Biden offered urban leaders a seat at the table in coronavirus recovery efforts, promising to avoid partisanship. Addressing the National League of Cities in March 2021, Harris praised urban leadership on COVID-19. Cities like Seattle and New York? New York. Were among the first to respond to the pandemic, developing testing protocols, track protocols tracking new infections, and supplying equipment for hospitals, and highlighted the administration's plans to help pay for improvements to local infrastructure. So, New York, as an example of what to do with COVID. You can't make this up. But that's exactly what the Biden administration is trying to do. The COVID-19 crisis highlighted the importance of government leaders working together. The U.S. governmental system, called federalism, shares power among the national, state, and local governments. It doesn't share power. There's no power share. Each level 
but more importantly, the states and the federal have their respective powers. This is exactly how it was. So this, see, the language here is important. There's no power sharing. States have powers, and the general government has powers that are clearly dele delegated to it in the Constitution, and those are the only things they can do. The states can do all else. The local governments only have powers because the states say they do. That's it. There's no... There's no uh, U.S. government giving powers to states and localities. It's the other way around. And so there's no power sharing. You could say there's some concurrent powers, but it's not power sharing. That's a bad definition of federalism. And, and if you look at it, uh, they are linking to a W.W. W. Norton college textbook to give you that definition. This is why... When you send your kids to college, they need pretty good, a pretty good background to avoid stuff like this. Because this is, oh, well, there's a power sharing between the state. No, there's not a power sharing. And this is being written by political science professors, government professors. This is what you're going to get. Now, I say that because when I was in college and I was in uh, doing a political science minor as an undergraduate, I took a class on state and local government. It was basically written like this. This is what you got, power sharing. This system allows local control, allows local control. Who allows it? What allows it? Over most day-to-day -day government decisions. Local control means that pol policies can be tailored to the needs and limitations of each community. It allows local control. No, no, no. Local control is already codified in this. And so that's the important thing. But with the onset of COVID-19 in, in early 2020, tensions in this shared system boiled over. Instead of collaborating, the federal government rebuffed state and local governments desperate for critical information and life-saving supplies. Well, I mean, I don't know about that 100%. I mean, we know the Trump administration tried to get things out there and tried to do things. But um, collaboration. Now, you could say... Well, if the, if the federal government had things that they could get, but still, this was states that were trying to get stuff. And of course, it was, well, there's competition between this state and this state for these local life-saving things. Should have been a top, see, this is the question, should have been a top-down system. It's essentially what they're getting to here. And they say it. States and cities competed over medical equipment, testing capacity, and supplies, and other needs. Densely populated cities, many feuding with the federal government, were hardest hit. Federalism seemed to fail, slowing response and leading to deaths. So it's all because of federalism that people died. If we didn't have because we didn't have a one size fits all policy, people died. It, because we didn't have strong central authority here coming in and responding to the problem. It wasn't because we had incompetent people at these local and state governments. No, no. That wasn't the problem. It was because of Trump. In contrast to the previous administration, the Biden administration is treating local governments as key partners in a variety of areas, including public health. It has taken steps to give local policymakers more control over the allocation and distribution of COVID-19 vaccines, while setting national policies to hasten the availability, availability of vaccines. Reasserting closer relations between the federal government and state and local partners may signal a shift toward more collaboration in general. The federal government can use its power and position to drive change at the local level. So in other words, we don't really have what they're talking about here is not real federalism, but what they're talking about is one size fits all government driven by the central authority to do something else. It's not collaboration. It's you do what we say. 
A more collaborative relationship can help the federal government understand communities' needs, leading to new policies and priorities. Close partnership may also increase awareness of federal resources that are available, helping state and local governments identify programs to better support their residents. But as our research shows, federal dominance can also be counterproductive. Oh, wait a second here. As our research, so uh, these professors are saying, well, wait a second here, this doesn't always work very well. And that's kind of the thing that I found interesting about this article. They're pushing a top-down approach, but wait a second. Um, Maybe there are some downsides to this. How federalism does and doesn't work. Federal and state governments are responsible for national or regional priorities, such as defense, diplomacy, and the raising and redistribution of tax revenues. But local governments deliver the most used public services, including schools, transportation, parks, and public health. As a result, local governments are perhaps the most important in people's daily lives. This is not questionable. This is why I say think locally, act locally. This is a couple of leftists saying exactly what needed to be said. But who is the creator of the local governments? Well, the state. So you actually have to go to the states, not the federal government, to look at these things. Local governments both make and implement policy in areas where the federal and state governments are silent or inactive. Local governments often innovate to address community needs. That freedom to innovate helps local governments generate policies that can work their way up and across the federal system. So they're actually saying it's a bottom-up approach here. Local governments can do things. Now, of course, they get their power from the center, from the states. That's how they have all their powers. And so one of the interesting things that's happened with new federalism and other things that have been developed since the 1960s is bypassing the state governments. And this really went on during the Obama administration. You don't give money to the states. You give it directly to local governments. Now, you've bypassed the most important part, which is the states and all of this. That is really the key here. Because you see, what the Biden administration is realizing is the states are a block. But if I can go, if I can, in the Biden administration, let's say you're in, uh, you're in Georgia, right? Largest cities, Atlanta. You also have Columbus and Augusta. Two big, three big cities there. In, in Georgia. And generally, Augusta, Atlanta, and Columbus go Democrat, as most urban areas do. So if you can bypass Georgia, which might be less receptive to interference from the federal government, and go right to Atlanta, right to the mayor of Atlanta, or the mayor of Columbus, or the mayor of Augusta, and say, we're going to give you allocated, we're going to allocate resources to you, you have just broken down the whole issue of federalism. You've bypassed the creators of both the federal government and the local governments. So these two children are working together against the parent. Essentially is how this is working. Now, you might say, well, gosh, we need these resources. The COVID resources, health, I mean, vaccines, health-saving medical equipment, all of the life-saving medical equipment, all these things. Okay, I understand. But what you've done is ruin the entire federal system, which was there for a reason. It wasn't just created arbitrarily. It was there for a reason. That's because the states represented all the people in the communities. And by and large, I mean, the states should be responsive to their people in their communities. Uh, They shouldn't ignore these things. But going straight over the states to the local governments is a new innovation from the general government. Only in the last half century or so we've seen this. For example, despite backlash from state and national leaders, various cities like Austin, Los Angeles, Virginia Beach, and Washington, D.C. have led the way on social and environmental policies, adopting and advocating for higher minimum wages, 
fracking limitations, sanctuaries for Second Amendment rights, and reducing law enforcement violence. We'll see the whole point is this. On some of these things, higher minimum wages, okay. Cities can do what they want in that way. As long, I mean, the, 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 usually the state minimum wage is this, but you can you can have it be higher if you want. Fracking limitations, now that that's a little dicey with the state. Sanctuaries for Second Amendment rights, that's completely against the whole idea of federalism and reducing law enforcement violence. Scholars have noted changes in the dynamics of these relationships throughout history. During some eras, the federal government has more power over policymaking. At other times, state and local governments exert greater influence. For example, President Lyndon B. Johnson's Great Society welfare programs, Medicare, Medicaid, and food stamps, increased the federal government's influence on state and local governments. New federal requirements mandated spending on social programs, often requiring matching funds from state and local governments, and new state and local agencies had to be established to implement federal priorities. Federal dollars shared with local governments to fight poverty came with strings attached. Examples include requirements to meet environmental standards and adopt non-discrimination policies. So it really wasn't just about food. It was about establishing an entire leftist agenda. This is what was going on with all of this stuff. And we see it with the infrastructure bill. If this is all about, hey, you know what we need to do? We need to build some bridges. In America. We need to redo these bridges and roads. I don't know if anybody in the Republican Party would oppose it, even though I can make a constitutional argument against it. But when you add all the other layers of stuff in that they're doing in this, it clearly is not a bill that is designed simply to give us bridges and roads. There's a whole bunch of other pork in that thing that's going to ch fundamentally change things in America. That's the whole point of the bill. That's the whole point of all this stuff that comes out of the Johnson. It's why Lyndon Johnson is in my book, Nine Presidents Who Screwed Up America. Federal dollars shared with local governments to fight poverty came with strings. I just said that. With the advent of welfare reform in the mid-1990s, the federal government relaxed some of these requirements. As a result, state and local governments were given more flexibility over policy and spending decisions. Our recent research indicates the balance of power on the federal system affects government performance and the safety of Americans. So our research says the balance of power, if it's one way or another, this is affecting government performance and safety. During the COVID-19 response, the federal government failed to partner with state and local governments. As a result, there were problems finding and delivering crucial supplies like masks and ventilators, leading to needless deaths. You see, that's the issue. It was needless deaths because of President Trump. Historically, presidents have taken a range of approaches to man managing the federal system. Johnson's Great Society programs expanded the authority of the federal government. Federal agencies gained the power to create and manage the details of the effort to eradicate poverty, hunger, and discrimination. Which was all unconstitutional, right? I mean, this is a power grab by the central authority. President Richard Nixon's new federalism sent money to so-called block grants to state and local governments to carry out different federal initiatives. This allowed local governments some power over policy design and implementation. But it was... A lot of strings attached. I mean, this is why it's not really federalism. And then President Ronald Reagan's pragmatic federalism emphasized privatization, using private sector organizations to deliver services and decentralization. Reagan used markets to deliver government services through competitive contracts and grants. In more recent years, scholars have accused Presidents George W. Bush and Barack Obama of returning to the more coercive federalism of Johnson's Great Society. 100% true, because they're both progressives. To encourage state and local governments to adopt federal Adopt federal priorities, federal funds under these presidents again included strings, increasing tensions between these levels of government.
Under President Trump, these tensions reach an apex. Cities clash with the, with the federal government over immigration policy, law enforcement, violence, and health care, and ultimately over how to handle the pandemic. So what is the real issue here? Is it federalism or is it nationalism? Why was there tension? Was it because the states were causing the problem or was it because the central government was causing the problem? Where do we have the most peace between the states and the central authority? Where do we have a situation where government functioned better? I agree that the Obama administration, the George W. Bush administration, even the Johnson and Nixon administrations were bad. Reagan, I mean, Reagan's his own monster in some ways with these kind of things. I know, I mean, conservatives don't like it when you criticize Reagan or say that Jimmy Carter did some things interesting or whatever it is, but there are some things there that were bad and good. Now, the real issue, as I mentioned this podcast the entire time, has always been nationalization. We don't have an American nation. We don't have a unitary state. We don't have a one-size-fits-all, top-down approach to government. It's bottom-up. And I think this piece recognizes that, but they say it's problematic. Much of Biden's proposed sweeping infrastructure plan addresses problems of rural and urban areas, such as caregiving, clean energy, and health care. Other parts confront regional issues, such as transportation, where states play an important role. With the understanding that coordination among all levels of government helps address problems more effectively, one step Biden might take is to revive the U.S. Advisory Commission on Intergovernmental Relations. The commission operated from 1959 to 1996, offering presidents and federal agencies guidance on issues that spanned the federal system's layers. The commission helped address abuses of power in the federal system and strengthen partnerships between governments. As scholars, we know that policy issues are rarely independent. Global climate change affects local transportation policies, while healthcare issues are often closely linked to education and agriculture. So, as scholars on the left, they forgot to leave that out, we think that climate change is important, so we have to have some type of one-size-fits-all policy for it. Also, uh, agriculture and healthcare and education, all these things are also important for us as leftists, so we're going to make sure there's a one-size-fits-all policy for that, too. Local governments are important players in the federal system. Over the next year, they will be critical in continued efforts to vaccinate the American public and prepare for disasters like hurricanes and wildfires. Given the complexity of modern policy problems, renewed consideration of how all levels of government can approach such big issues could help solve them. I mean, that's a pretty weak conclusion. Well, we need to study these things and figure out how to do this. Well, how about you take, you take out all the strings attached how about the states and local governments get off the cash drip? That would be good. And let them respond to these things without mandates and other things that they have to do. I mean, this is part of the problem. It is, in many ways, a disaster to have one-size-fits-all government. This is why Americans are angry. It's why people in California don't think they're getting what they need because the people in Alabama are blocking it and vice versa. California could just be California, that would be great. If Alabama could be Alabama, that would be great. If Massachusetts could be Massachusetts, that would be great. Montana could be Montana. Tucker Carlson can get harassed in Montana because you got a Montana guy that has a screw loose and he wants to confront somebody. I mean, just that, the, the, the sheer fact that somebody would go out of their way, a guy's there on vacation just trying to hang out with his family, and somebody has the nerve just to go up to him and say, I think you're the worst human being ever. I mean, what does that say about that guy? It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Regardless, I digress. 
But we have an issue of federalism. Federalism is the key to understanding American conservatism. The left doesn't like it. They think it's cumbersome and problematic and it needs to have reforms to it. But that's exactly what the system was designed to do. It was allowed for a reaction. Now, the local governments not being able to get things done with the state, that's a whole other problem. But they shouldn't be able to bypass the states or the general government because these are the two children of the state and they shouldn't be able to work in concert behind the back of the state to do these kind of things. It just shouldn't happen that way. Anyways, hope you enjoyed this week at the Brian McClanahan Show. I had a good week with you, and uh, we did a lot of cool stuff this week talking about conservatism and uh, what's the root of that. And, of course, again, federalism wrapping up the week, thinking locally and acting locally. Change your local if you want to change your government. I'll see you next time on the Brian McClanahan Show. See you then. 